As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, Matt Lanfair here with Primary and Secondary. Welcome to Modcast. This is Modcast 114. We're going to be talking about hurricanes because there have been some hurricanes that have occurred recently. We actually have some firsthand experience with this. I have none, as per the norm. We actually have a panel who's, they've been dealing with this stuff, um, both on a personal level and then also on a professional level. Um, this is going to be an interesting conversation. It's going to be pretty focused. I look forward to learning. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I'm especially interested in hearing about is the, the difference between what's been publicized through the media and what actually happened and how people, how people perceived what was going on. Um, also, what kind of uh, heads up people had towards what was actually going to occur compared to what actually did occur. Um, so as far as podcast or as far as modcast news is concerned, we won't be having a modcast next week. Um, we may have some kind of a, some kind of a live something going on. Carl with InRange, my buddy Ryan, my buddy Nate and I, we're all coming together to one, uh, one centralized place to hang out with uh, Dugan from Carnicon. And we are going to be filming some videos. And if you're not, if you're not familiar with Carnicon, uh, unfortunately, Dugan just recently closed down his Instagram account and his YouTube account. Hilarious stuff. The dude is a genius. Uh, very intelligent, very smart uh, when it comes to firearms. Add that with a sense of humor, and you have this 80s parody humor. I don't know. It's, it's great stuff. Unfortunately, there may be a YouTube channel out there that still has his videos on there. So if you look, and if you, if you know where to look, you can, you can find his videos, and they are still available. Um, great stuff, and I am really looking forward to uh, hanging out with these guys. It's going to be like a big slumber party, but with guns. It's going to be it's going to be a good time. We are we are hoping to do some live stuff. This is also going to be not only broadcast through primary and secondary. This is going to be on in range TV as well. We will try, depending on the on the internet, we will try to have some type of live something. If it's just us sitting around a, a restaurant, we may do a Q and A session. But look for content both here and on in range because we're we're putting we're putting things together for each other, and it's going to be a blast. Um, 
I think that pretty much sums up as far as that's concerned. The week after next, we will be having a modcast about reloading. Um, Nate, who I mentioned before, will be helping out with that. He's assembling a really good panel for this. I know nothing about it other than people seem to enjoy it, and it might be a little less expensive, but I, I hope to learn more. So... Uh, I already have a question about Dugan. To the best of my knowledge, Dugan is doing okay uh, physically with his health. However, I will find out much more on Friday when I see him. And that's not tomorrow, but next week. And just to give you a little clue, we may have acquired some helmets and some armor and various guns and some lasers. And they're all going to be individual pieces of content. So it's great. My background's in law enforcement. I've dealt a little bit with this first responder type stuff, dealing with various uh, calls, incidents, and whatever. So hopefully I'll be able to contribute in some manner with this conversation. But the real stars of this show are the panel. So we're going to start with Jeff. Jeff, tell us about your background. Well, the simple, the simple explanation is I'm just an engineer. Um. I know a lot of folks from Life and uh, a lot of guys in person, but I'm just an average Joe and I lived down, well, lived, I need to rebuild my home, but it was in Dickinson, Texas, and we got about 50 inches of rain, uh, very unexpected the results of that rain, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and following everything on on uh, Facebook and and seeing the the damage, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Where are you now? Um, I spent a day and a half uh, in a Red Cross shelter, probably about five miles away. And a buddy of mine that I uh, worked with years ago uh, picked me up about day and a half after I got to the shelter, and I've been staying with them for about three weeks now. Oh, okay. So we're we're we got back into the house. My company has has done a lot to uh, get me back on my feet. They've actually gone beyond what I would have imagined, and so just trying to rebuild it, with it being somewhat unexpected. There's there's a lot to it. Yeah. And then we have Dave Clark. Hello. Um, my background is uh, 10 years U.S. Army uh, combat arms. I was airborne. In, uh, while I was in the military, I also got my emergency medical technician certification. Got out of the Army, spent, uh, well, through 2010, and I worked from 1990 to 2000. Got out, uh, was a police officer in South Carolina until 2010. Um, at that point, years in Afghanistan from 2010 through 2014 as a private military contractor. And uh, now I'm here in Houston and just about ready to graduate uh, emergency medical services degree program uh, and also have my paramedic license. Cool. And as we said, we discussed this just a little bit. Um, some of the viewers were interested to find out if we had any medical personnel that were going to be joining us. I had no idea. This works out very well. Yeah, and I, I was able to participate in both sides of it, the, the, the water rescue side and the medical triage and treatment side. So hopefully I can offer some insight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I look forward to listening. Um, 
Then we have Chris Hill. I don't know if he's actually here, though. I'm here now. I got back. My phone was running out of battery. I had to switch to the iPad. And we can hear you, so that's a positive. That's good. Yeah, my audio works. My video works. So you can see my ugly face. Um, and you still need a sandwich. Yeah, I do. I have soda and uh, gummy worms, so I think uh, I might be able to last about halfway through this without passing out. Um, yeah, so I'm Chris Hill. I did uh, four years as, a, as an 0311 in the Marine Corps. I am currently in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And um, this is like the nine millionth hurricane that I've gone through. I've, I've uh, been down here my whole life was born down here so kind of get desensitized to it a little bit but no to prepare and things like that and this was definitely a unique experience because the hurricane came on labor day and everybody was off but since i work at a gun shop um we were we were on and 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 rocking and everything and by the time i got out of work everything was pretty much toast because everybody had the day off when they freaked out so it was a unique experience, and there were some, some, definitely some things to be learned from, from that. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. This is going to be a good discussion. I look forward to this. And the cool thing about this, at least for me, is this can be an example for future events. This, to me, this says there's an importance of preparation. So, yeah, let's start. Let's go back to Jeff. Because... Based on my knowledge, based on, based on my knowledge of of everything that's occurred, you've probably been most affected of the of the panel easily. What were you expecting before it came in? Did you have any anticipation that it would go to this level? Well, like, can can you hear me? I see. Yes. A, okay. Uh, we all have seen the uh, preparation list. You know the things you want to have before you, uh, before you, you need them, um, both before, during, and after the storm. And I had all of those things, uh, but what I didn't do is much like Chris said. I've been through quite a few hurricanes in the in the Houston area uh, back. I want to say oh nine, oh eight, or oh nine. Uh, no, it was 05. Went through Hurricane Rita, the mass evacuation uh, that ended up, we spent 26 hours driving a route that took us probably two hours normally. Um, and I've posted pictures on Facebook where uh, I-45 out of Houston, when they opened up controversial traffic, you ended up with probably 20 lanes headed north. And it was essentially a parking lot. So the, the, there have been a lot of people who have asked me, you know, why didn't you do this? What, you know, were you prepared for uh, a lot of questions? I tried to write these things down, but honestly, there's a lot of questions. And usually the questions that come from folks have not been involved in this kind of event. They, they think that you have time to evacuate. They think that, hurricanes always do the same thing. And in this particular case, I think there were a lot of people who I know I did underestimated what the hurricane was doing. Um, before it made landfall, it stalled. And when it stalled, uh, we ended up, uh, where I live, 
both south and north of us was a solid band of rain and it looked really bad on the weather. Uh, and, and a lot of people I knew were calling me and, and texting me, asking me if I was okay. And honestly, it was no worse than a, a regular thunderstorm. And so the, the thought of, of floodwaters uh, being so close to the Gulf really didn't, it didn't, it wasn't a possibility that I thought was, was even remotely uh, there. Uh, but, but because of the, I, I hate to use the term perfect storm, but it was so far away. We had a constant band of rain and I've got pictures. You've probably seen them Matt. where, where uh, I exited my house the next morning at seven o'clock and I had four and a half, five foot of water. And our street was just, I mean, I, I walked out and my, my four trucks, my three trucks, excuse me, my three trucks and my motorcycle were all up to the windshield with water. Uh, but the water was flowing from north to south. It was essentially flowing into the, into the bay. Uh, it wasn't brackish water, it was fresh water. And the neighbors that I helped evacuate, uh, they had lived in that area for 40 years and never saw anything like it. Um, so probably the biggest thing I, I took from that, even though it wasn't technically a hurricane for us right away, was to be maybe not just prepared, but be prepared to leave. Hmm. And, and, and it came up pretty fast. It, you know, about midnight or so when, when the rain started, you know, the rain was falling all day, but when the water started coming up and it started coming up past where it normally did, uh, it didn't take but a few hours for it to get three and a half foot deep in the house. So, I mean, big takeaway for me was expect the unexpected. Wow. And so there are still efforts. You're still re recovering uh, with, well, on your property. I had three and a half feet of water in the house. There were people who were flooded much worse than I was. I've got a two-car garage, and probably between the house and the garage, I had tens of thousands of dollars worth of tools, uh, 30 years worth of collecting tools for, for restoring trucks. And I had tens of thousands of dollars worth of guns. Um, my big problem was I wasn't going to be able to move it all you know, someplace safe. I put stuff up, you know, in the house where it was a little bit higher. I ended up putting stuff in tubs. I ended up putting it on, you know, when the water kept coming in, I put it on furniture. And when it was all said and done, my whole house was floating around in my living room. You know, and like I said, the, the neighbors that were in their 90s, the husband and wife that uh, I have rescued, they hadn't seen anything like that in 40 years. Yeah. So knowing what you know now, would you have taken off? Honestly, if I could have had enough time, I don't think I could have moved all my stuff. I, what, what I'm doing from this point forward, I am streamlining everything I have down to the, you know, the bare essentials that I need to have to do what I want to do. Uh, and I'll probably store it somewhere other than down here on the Gulf Coast. Hmm. Because it, it just, 
like I said, you've probably seen the pictures. It, it, yep. And I know David. I know David tried to get down here to South Houston, you know, south of downtown. And uh, David, I think it was flooded just as bad up there as it was for a different reason as it was down in Dickinson. Yeah, um, I actually have family who lives in Texas City. So of course, I was concerned about <laughs> them as well. I am fortunate. I live in North Houston. And there were, of course, areas in North Houston that were flooded very heavily. However, my neighborhood historically has been pretty low. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky. We don't generally get the waters too high. And turns out that throughout all of this, my neighborhood barely even had puddles in the street. I never lost power. We never lost water. We never, uh, we were, we were just fine. So we're very, very lucky. I had still prepped, had everything all prepared just in case, but we were extremely lucky. So from what you saw, how many people were in that same situation where they, they were ready, they wound up not having to do anything with it and they were able to go and help those that needed the help? Um, a lot of people in my neighborhood saw me getting ready to load up and go out to help and came up to ask what they could do or, uh, and, and I have to say that a lot of them aren't really prepared for doing rescue work or things yeah. of that nature. They're most likely they would be most beneficial in being able to provide money and goods and things that can help other groups do their work. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, Matt, I'm lucky. Matt, I might add, what David just said, uh, there are two major streets that run east-west from where we live toward I-45, about a mile away, and it looked like rush hour. There were kayaks, there were canoes, there were john boats, there were bass boats, there were guys running just totally pimped out airboats with UHMW skid plates on them. I mean, it, it looked like a rush hour uh, of boats and they and they were all private citizens yeah uh, i saw some pictures on uh i think it was on the news and it was people just absolutely lined up huge lines and these are people here to help how inspiring is that that is awesome so well, based I, yeah, oh go ahead 
Well, I was going to say the, the interesting thing I found, aside from everything I learned and, and the things that I'm going to do different, the town where I live, we have probably, they, they estimate somewhere between uh, a third uh, black, third white, third Hispanic. And I can tell you that that I'm sure there's people who, who don't agree with me politically, um, you know, don't like guns, but I didn't see, I didn't see any difference in the people on that, on that day and the days after. I mean, everybody, everybody I ran across, the people who were helping and the people who were being saved in that water were, there was no difference. They were Americans. Yeah. 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 I, I think three things stood out for me. I ended up doing rescues in Houston and then got in my truck and made my way east and ended up in Port Arthur, Beaumont, uh, Vider. And I think the three things that stood out to me were, one, the just amazing generosity of everyone doing what they could, whether it was rescue and putting themselves in danger, medical to hey, this guy has a really big barbecue grill and he's going to pull it to the shopping center where the staging area is set up and he's just going to cook for people. He didn't have to do any of that. So the generosity was amazing. Uh, I saw everybody, to include myself, open carrying and nobody gave it a second look. And three, that color, ethnicity, personal beliefs just went out the window. Nobody gave a damn. And it was, it was awesome. It's just a shame yeah. that it has to have something like this to happen to really see that. So from what you guys observed first, firsthand, how close was the media coverage? How, how, how accurate was it? I, and for what I saw, it was the media was in specific spots. It was very hard for them to get to some of the really extreme areas. And so they were always a step behind, but that's something that we can discuss as this progresses in that everybody was a step behind and a lot of stuff became big clusters. Uh, so that's, I think that's, I think the media was a step behind too. Yeah. Now, Chris. Oh, you're muted. I think I muted you. In fact, hold on. Let me see if I can unmute you. Nope, you're muted forever. There you go. Ah, unmuted. Okay, okay, so for you, what did you have to go through with the storm that it looked like it kind of uh, lost a lot of a lot of power? Yeah, so there's like this thing. So to give you some, uh, at least a little bit more context, um, you know, growing up and, and being in school and being like, oh, there's a hurricane coming. Cool. We get three days off of school. And, it, you know, it kind of seems like a really asshole thing to say now. Like my dad one time, like looked at me like I was out of my mind. I was like, oh, I was just so mad about that. It's stupid. A hurricane means you get out of school and nothing bad happens. Power goes out. Big deal. Um, but, you know, this one was different because this is the first time. First of all, this is the first time I've had one as a as a homeowner. 
this is the first time that we've been threatened with a, a category five, like to the face in Broward County and Dade County, which is, you know, we always dodge stuff. It's like, oh, we got a one, a yeah, big deal. Or it's like, oh, we're getting a three. Eh, that might suck, but it's not going to be that bad. Um, so it's coming in, it's going to be a five and it's like, shit, 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 shit. And you're like, you know, you're, I'm boarding up and my house is like non-standard and I have to, you know, go get the wood. And now I have to, as a, and, and I'm a, I'm a young guy. I'm, I'm only 28 years old. I don't know how to cut <laughs> wood with precision. I don't know how to do the, I don't have tools. I don't have like, like, like he said, I don't have 30, 40 years worth of tools. I have zero tools. I have a freaking hammer and I have like 10 guns. Those are my tools. Um, well, not only that, so, you also you also had all this media coverage of everything that happened in Texas, and this is what's coming. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So you have all these people that are typically, you know, totally unprepared, and they board up at the last second, and nobody gives a shit, and and it's whatever. And now you have everybody like, oh, Harvey just happened, and now everybody's screwed, and that now everybody actually takes it seriously, but they all take it seriously at exactly the same time. On Labor Day, when everybody is off work, and it was, it was the fastest I've seen gas run out, the fastest I've seen wood run out, the fastest I've seen tap con- cons run out, the fastest I've seen anything. Like I've never seen stuff. Ru- I've never seen gas run out five days before a hurricane comes. It's it's nuts because it never happens. People are like, ah, it's going to be a hurricane. I have propane. It's like whatever. But. Luckily for for me, um, you know, I had a, a really good dude down the street who is also in PNS, Kirk uh, Blackson, who helped me mm-hmm. out um, quite a bit, putting my putting my sh- uh, shutters and everything on my shutters, but my putting my wood up and everything. Oh, also, I just had a, a baby like four weeks ago, or my wife had a baby. I didn't. Have hey, oh yeah, I was gonna say, I, <laughs> can't even tell. Yeah. So I had a I have a four week old baby, a month old baby, or whatever, um, doing all this stuff. And, you know, I had some help, had somebody bring tools over. um, And basically I had to learn from Monday to Thursday because the person that brought tools over, of course, is like an older person that's hurt and can't do anything. So they're teaching me how to do the cutting up and all this stuff. Um, And at the same time, I'm trying to pack everything. And and luckily for me, though, I kind of already like, I'm not a prepper, but like, you know, my wife's like, Hey, buy, buy two waters and I'll buy like six waters and I'll put like four in the closet, you know, and, and I'll get yelled at sometimes, but for doing stuff like that, but you know what, this time we're, we're pretty squared away with, with like food. And she's like, Oh, why are you buying 400 packets of ramen? And I'm like, shut up. I'm going to buy 400 packets of ramen. Leave me alone. Because they're um, delicious. And not eat it. Oh. Yeah. And not eat it for six months. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit, we have ramen. Fantastic. Every um, night. Yeah. And what actually ended up happening is here at, at my place, got everything boarded up. And at the last second, um, we look and we're like, oh, my God, we don't have enough water for a week and a half or two weeks or whatever. It and is. for all that ramen. So I go to get water. Yeah. I go to get water. Can't get it. Nowhere has water. Right. So now my wife is like, OK, let's let's bail. And I'm like. We can't bail. It's Thursday night. It's going to take us. And where are we going to bail to? You're going to go and it'll be a category one when it hits Georgia. You know, that's going to take you 26 hours to get there. I'm not doing that with a with a month old baby in the car. We got to find somewhere to go. 
you can't go to a shelter because you're not allowed to bring your, your, your guns and stuff. And I'm not going to, a, I'm not going to go have a, a super dome with no guns. Um, so now I have to figure out where I'm going to go because we don't want to stay in the house. We don't have enough water. And, and my dad actually works at a, at a private school down here. And, uh, we stayed in a locker room that was hooked up to the concession stand. Um, and we had unlimited water, unlimited food and everything like that. But, and it was a concrete building and we got really lucky. Like if we would have got hit by, if we would have got hit by like a three or a four County and I was in this house, I'd have the whole probably top wood part of my house ripped off, no water, freaking post-apocalyptic, you know, whatever going on. And also baby and wife that just had a C-section. So, you know, it's like one of those things where now... Now I know how to do all this stuff, and now I know how bad it, like, not really how bad it could get, because it didn't get as bad as it, it, it could be, but, like, you know, it could have went really poorly, so, you know, kind of have better plans now uh, than, than I did before. Yeah. So, basically, um, what you're saying is you are the lesson for the millennial. Prepare now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, 100%. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't know it's like that thing we say like i didn't know that i needed to know how to screw screws into freaking my house like why you know you're you're like 24 and you're like why the fuck do i need to know that and it's like you need to know that nope did we just lose you sorry i'm finding this very funny oh no you're good you're good (laughs) no uh, chris your your feed kind of and, and it's funny because as, so, as soon as Matt told me this morning, you know, I've been really busy today, tons of meetings. I just got back from two weeks of our plant being shut down. And then, of course, a week of me trying to get my house tore apart. And so today, everybody wants everything yesterday. And today was my first really productive day. And I wrote a, a bunch of things down. But one thing you said, Chris, about, you know, using tools uh one of the things i wrote down was was developing you know we we talk about in firearms we talk about in medical we talk about developing the skills that we need in order you know there's guys that will go and do a a a gun class and they think they're set they you know they don't do any edged weapons they don't do any you know hands-on stuff they don't do any medical and honestly there's stuff as a homeowner there's things that you learn over the course of time using tools, just the basic tools, that if you have those tools, you can fix stuff yourself after the hurricane or prep before the hurricane. But, yeah, the, the, having having those lists put together, uh, that's one of the things that we're, I hope we get documented. Uh, you know, I know PNS, we had a, uh, somebody posted a, a, a thread about not just Harvey, but just in general. And I think that's probably the most valuable thing will be those lists. And it's not your standard cookie cutter. I'm going to have water. I'm going to have toilet paper. I'm going to have, you know, MREs. It's it's some of that other stuff that's going to help make the days after easy too. Cause we were, te- we were trying to tear my house apart. We had all my tools were trashed. We had, we were doing it with rocks and sticks. You know, it was ridiculous. And and the tool stores were, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's. They were all sold out of tools. I mean, just cleaned out. Cleaned yeah. out. I think for me, one of the biggest things I learned was 
not that I live anywhere that there are hurricanes, but if I am in, if I am somewhere where hurricanes are going to be prominent, make sure I have firearms because if you shoot at them, they go down in power. <laughs> well, in, yep. that was and sarcasm for those of you watching. Well, honestly, Matt, what we're what we're talking about we're talking about hurricanes, but this applies to the folks in Montana. And, oh, it applies and to Oregon. Everything. Yeah, you know, you have to look at at what could possibly go wrong in your environment and say, okay, we might have some forest fires. Am, am I, is, you know, could my house burn down? Yep. Do I want to store everything I have in my house so that when I have to recover, I have absolutely nothing to use in order to, you know, to get back to some sort of normalcy. Yeah. One so. thing that I've, I've liked to do what I, that I have done that I, that I think has been somewhat effective is, analyze each aspect of the life that I'm comfortable with and remove one facet and figure out, okay, how do I make up for that? And then just go, it's kind of like troubleshooting. And then there's Shockey. Who's, t- <laughs> who's tired. Who's been dealing with floods at his, at his range. He's just going to nod. He, it's okay. He, he's tired. I just got back from pumping all day. I know. Yeah. Were you able to get the pumps that you were looking for? Or are you stuck with the smaller ones? Uh, I mean, we, we got a six inch uh, and eight inch would have been better, but we got it for seven days. So uh, we'll see what it does. Uh, I got a class in a month, John Lavelle, and we'll see if that makes. But after that, it's Bill Blowers at the mm-hmm. end of October. And we're, we're you know, not sure that'll make. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'll start baking that ground again and start getting it hard again because right now it's all sand and clay and it's just soft. But, uh, yeah, we're done with work. Work with uh, on the police side. So now it's time to take care of the range and uh, get that squared away. So, yep. So, so speaking as a police officer with everything that occurred, what was your – where did you wind up working? Uh, I was on an MRAP the entire time. 
uh, that's not high water rescue stuff. I mean, we can conquer, you know, with that thing comfortably five feet of water. Um, you get up over five feet of water, we start getting nervous. Um, but for five, for, for about five or six days, I lived at the PD and we were assigned to the MRAP, um, just going where we need as, as needed, so to speak. Hmm. So, um, doing high water rescue type stuff. So compared to how you normally use that, how big of a change did you have to like swap out gear and all that? And was your equipment ready, ready for this task? It was, um, you know, a lot of guys kind of underestimated Harvey a little bit. Uh, you know, oh, we're going to get two inches of rain. Uh, we're gonna, it's going to miss us. Um, but I was a little bit more um, realistic in it. Um, so we were actually, we were pretty prepped for it. Um, there was really nothing that we needed. Uh, we've had a Bearcat for years, but we just got this MRAP. So this is actually the first time that we've used the operation one. Oh, cool. Uh, we discovered that there was some leaks in there. Uh, so we spent a lot of time as that thing wet. Uh, but we actually, we got our, uh, master repellers, our repel masters, I guess you call them. Uh, we've got ropes tied in there for us and stuff like that with harnesses in case we had to go in, um, swift water type stuff, uh, breaching tools, a whole nine yards. We were actually, we, we, I don't think there was a time that we had a need for something that we didn't have. So we spent the week before Harvey. Uh, preparing for it. I think I, 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 even me being in my realistic manner, I underestimated Harvey. Um, but even still, we prepared for it the whole week and, and we, it, it paid off for us. What were some things that you changed on the MRAP for this specific task compared to SWAT operations? Uh, you know, it was actually, honestly, it was, it was many cool stuff in the grand scheme of things. But for example, um, we took on a lot of water in the MRAP. Um, and it's still pretty warm down here. Um, and so like one thing that we had to get hooked up was a fan on the turret pedestal facing our windows just to keep them from fogging up because the amount of moisture and humidity in there from the water building up and having the ramp down and water rushing up in there, the whole nine yards. Um, we, you know, we didn't, we made sure that we took out everything that was SWAT related minus breaching tools just in case, yeah. uh, we actually never had to use them. Uh, but in case we needed to bust a car window, yeah. bust down a front door, um, stuff like that. But honestly, we ran very, very light um, for the for no other reason than the more stuff we put in there, the more or less or the less room that we had for bodies, so to yep. speak. Um, so we tried to evaluate what we needed, um, laid it all out, and we were like, "Yeah, we really don't need that," or "Yeah, we need that," because, like I said. You know, you get too much stuff in there, that may be one less person that you could fit in the back. Because, we're, you know, the MRAP that we have is the International Max Pro. It's really not that big of a vehicle to begin with. So you can't stuff a whole lot of stuff in there and still get seven or eight people in there. Yeah. Um, you know, we made sure that we had water in there. You know, I mean, people um, dehydrated from dealing with waters. Um, very basic necessities, and that was it. Based on any research you've done, how many, uh, how many other departments were – ended up using MRAPs for this purpose? Um, I know that Harris did. Um, I, I know that Leak City Pearland area has one. I don't know if they use theirs or not. Hmm. But honestly, I think for the Houston metro area, um, we're the only three that have MRAPs. Hmm. Okay. Um, and even like the Bearcats, a lot of, a lot of agencies have Bearcats. Uh, but the Bearcats are, aren't high water rescue type yeah, stuff. I mean, they can go, 
yeah, I mean, they can go and, you know, pick up truck size water, but they can't go in deep because the air intakes on the MRAP sit so high is the reason that you can go so low. But I mean, even still, you know, I mean, we're all having to repair our MRAPs. All of our MRAPs are messed up now. Um, but they got the job done at the time that they needed to get done. Um, but I mean, our MRAPs down for a couple of weeks. We got all kinds of issues with it from the water. So it's awesome that it was available. Yeah, I mean, we got it last minute. Uh, we got a tire put on there because um, when we got it, the tire was flat. But we got it last second. We got it running. Um, they call it the life control unit, which is basically a fancy term for their big AC unit. was down in there. But other than that, we got it operational. We got it running. Um, but we got um, our issues. We started to see issues midway through it. Um, I know Harris County took on water in their transmission. Uh, but again, theirs was towards the latter end. So, um, you know, we haven't, even with the tax day floods last year, it wasn't like it was now. So we kind of got to see the limitations of the MRAPs. And basically, I think moral story is you can do legitimate high water rescue stuff with these vehicles for about five days until you really need to start taking a hard look. Like, for example, we took on water and our, um, our power steering, it was burping. So there's power steering fluid everywhere. And then um, um, the resistor on our accelerator went out from the water. And so it's an electronic component like most vehicles are now. So instead of you depressing the, the, the pedal slowly and the pedal telling the electronic control unit, hey, 5%, 10%, 50%, ours is at like 30%. So it's actually we kind of felt bad for the people because when you touch the gas pedal – I mean, it throws you back in your seat, rolls out a few people are back there bouncing their heads off the walls. But again, we made it about five days until we, so if we get another big hurricane, we know, hey, you know, about the four or five day mark, we need to start looking at our vehicles because if we don't, they're going to start failing. I mean, for the same example with Harris counties, I mean, water, your transmission fluid is at that. They could burn it up, and then the vehicle's completely out of service. I don't know. In my opinion, based on what you just said, it sounds like it. it's almost necessary. It sounds like an awesome investment. Well, and actually, since the floods, I've had two departments, um, and they've got their administration's attention uh, to try and go after vehicles in 1033. Necessarily MRAPs, but going after Hummers, or Humvees, um, five tons, LMTVs, whatever they get their hands on. Not very easy to get a hold of in 2017. You know, I mean, back in when we pulled out of Iraq initially in 09, 2000, um, I mean, the 1033 program was, it was, it was its heyday. I mean, you could get whatever you wanted to vehicle wise to wound down. But I've told these people, hey, you know, this is, I've kind of given them tips and keys on 1033 program because it's a little bit tricky to navigate and get enrolled. But, you know, like I told him, hey, your administration remembers the floods two weeks ago. So now it's time to be hot and heavy and get it. Um, and so it was a wake-up call for a lot of departments, and a lot of them are seeking out those vehicles now, putting themselves on what's called wait list so that when vehicles pop up, they can get them. Because the only thing that most um, jurisdictions had to deal with this was dump truck. They're good. They're still not purpose-built for transporting people. They're meant for transporting dirt, you know. Um, you know, the mill horse with their, their five tons, their LMTVs, deuce and a halves, but they were still a couple days late to the party, so to speak. Um, so the 
on that aspect now. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. We yeah, and, I mean, and unfortunately, a lot of people that don't understand the program, don't understand what it's about, see this as some kind of, this is, this is a uh, law enforcement turning military, uh, militarized. No, this is a tool, a multi-tool. In fact, that can do a lot of things. Yeah. However, yeah. it can't do what a boat can do as just mentioned in one of our back channels. Mm-hmm. And that goes to David Clark. Who just fell yeah. asleep? Yeah, I mean, we uh, we're, we're, we were close. Uh, uh, one of the last rescues that we did, uh, we were on a roadway, and it was coming up to the to the, the bottom of the hood, and it was an uneasy feeling. And I was like, "Hey, man, I think this is our last one. Uh, we we need a boat." And not many agencies at all possess boats. So, I mean, so you know, granted, the volunteers were huge, huge, huge on this. Uh, but I mean, if it had gone to only all boats and we had no volunteers, um, first responders as a whole, cause it's not just police. It's not just fire. First responders as a whole would have been caught with their pants down big time. Yeah. And so now agencies are like, Hey, let's look at air boats. Let's look at, you know, just little John boats. Um, because I don't care in some areas, I don't care how badass your vehicle was. Um, it was just too deep. You needed a boat. Simple as that. There was no other way around it. And two, the thing with the MRAP, and, uh, you know, deuce and a half and stuff is, is that um, two issues. One is it takes us forever to get from point A to point B because you have to basically idle through the water. And two, um, early on in the storm, going down the streets, you know, just like any houses, any neighborhoods built, the streets will flood long before the houses do. Uh, but as that water creeps up on people's doors and garages, I mean, like I said, you could idle on the MRAP, and that thing creates a wake from hell. And I'm just looking back, and waves are crashing to people's garages, and I'm just like, God, I feel like I feel like an asshole. Um, and boats don't usually have that big of a wake because they're not displacing that much water. Um, so, you know, the MRAPs were great. The high-water vehicles were great, but they certainly had their limitations, and you can't put all your eggs in their basket, so to speak. So, That's good stuff. And I and you know I think just that what you said hopefully will be able to help officers explain the importance of having vehicles like this. It's multi-purpose. And everybody that's been a cop has you know been through the whole song and dance where you know a, a shooting happens and the officer couldn't PID, so now they will get want to get everybody weapon lights. It doesn't happen for four months, and it's like the admin forgets, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, we won't need it again for a long time. We'll deal with it. Now the admins are listening, so I'm telling dudes like, hey, get in the program right now because your admins remember two weeks ago stuff was flooded. Um, get on it now. If you wait six months from now, I'm not dogging administrators and command staff, but it'll kind of be a, a past thought, and it won't be as high as priority. You know what I mean? And then three years later, there's another hurricane, and it's like, I told you guys, but it does no good at that time. So Yeah. And it's helping the community. Mm-hmm. Chuck, do you have Yeah, any I mean, nobody was like, oh, my God, it's militarized. It's a military vehicle. Not at that point, uh, no, yeah. No, I mean, God. Um, the parades, they'll say it, though. Do what? It, it, during a parade. It's a militarized parade. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we're down in Texas. You know, I mean, we never had a huge militarization issue to begin with down here. Um, the citizenry, you know, they're, they're it's not as liberal down here. I'll just come out and say it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, nobody, I mean, everybody that rode in the back of it, you know, dealt with it, 
just thought it was awesome. I mean, they just, oh, this is so cool. This is how awesome how water goes in. It wasn't a factor of, you know, it's a military vehicle and the police have it. They were grateful for it. So, yeah. As it should be used. But it takes an incident like this for people to realize that, hey, you know, it's multi-purpose. Yeah, we use it for SWAT, uh, but it's also high water rescue. And, you know, it was just kind of coincidental. You know, one of the big things that we sold on it when we when we put in for it was it's going to be, you know, mainly for SWAT, but it'll also be high water rescue. Um, in the back of our minds, we're like, we don't have that very often. So, you know, hey, we might get used once. So it's kind of ironic that the first time it got operational was for um, high water rescue stuff. For five days straight. Yeah. You'd have been screwed had you not had that. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, you know, fire and EMS were um, fire and EMS were initially using pickup trucks. Uh, I'm sorry. Fire and EMS were initially using pickup trucks, which worked for, you know, I don't know, the first day, day and a half. And then at that first point in time... Fire and EMS had no way to get to their calls um, outside of us or a dump truck. So crazy. We learned, we learned a lot. We learned a lot as an agency, so to speak. And I'm hoping the the lessons that have been learned can be passed on others and that they can apply that to their administration and people can get better from that. (laughs) Chuck, do you have any thoughts so far with any of this? Yeah, there's just a whole lot of really good comments. Uh, you know, I've got I'm, my brain's thinking about a bunch of different stuff. Uh, I came in uh, towards the tail of, of Jeff talking, and he's talking about his stuff, you know, and, and even if he had had the foresight, he wasn't sure logistically that he could displace. And uh, I, I ran into this recently when I, I moved. Uh, I realized that I had uh, ammunition stores that far exceeded the gross vehicle weight of any vehicle that I own. So, so there's no bucking out for me. I, I, I like that's that's a terrible, terrible problem to have. I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so yeah. So this is so. So I, I'm looking at it. and I'm like, okay, well, there's a certain. And, and this segued me into some of the other things that you guys are talking about, community coming together and, uh, you know, and all that. And it's like, hey, man, each um, lo- loss of basic social services um, situation is going to be different. So, uh, you know, I live outside of a major metropolitan city. And uh, on zero day, uh, if there was no help coming and, and the As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thing, the difference between Katrina and Harvey and, and all the rest of these is the rest of the country is not affected. Uh, took took longer for people to get there in Katrina than it did for Harvey. Uh, but the rest of the country is giving way together to fix this very, very small problem. If you take that macro tragedy and put it on a micro tragedy and put it on a macro level, that's when you get more of the fly shape. And so at, at what point uh, in, a, in a disaster uh, or, or in a, a situation where, where basic life has been interrupted, do you have to leave where you're at? And that can be... Rising water makes that choice for me in a, in a power outage situation without national level support to the major metropolitan city that I'm located by. People are going to move out in concentric circles, flowing like water, like zombies, and they're going to consume every natural resource that exists. And, and so I can plan this migration of starving people based upon the foot travel of day uh, per day and, and the distance in kilometers or miles from ground zero of, of Seattle. So I know that I can stay here at this house if something were to make everybody in Seattle want to leave for X amount of time until I'm literally going to have 100,000 starving people on my doorstep. Uh, for a hurricane area, or a natural disaster area, it could be, I'm good where I'm at unless I'm like my man Chris. It's like, man, once winds go over 120, roof's coming off my house. All the rounds in the world ain't going to stop the roof coming off my house. So um, so there's there's certain things, that uh, different dynamics that I have to think about. One of the things that I definitely want to think about since I've already looked at in my situation, getting ahead of this tidal wave of human bodies that are coming out of the big city, if I don't have the ability to fucking move all the shit I've procured, then it's worthless. Yep. I can't hunker down forever. Uh, We've already, we've already acknowledged that in that specific scenario. So there is a scenario where prepping in uh, or bugging in, staying in is, is not possible and you must bug out Uh, not to turn this into a prepper podcast, but that's a serious deal. If I'm if I'm at twenty thousand rounds and uh, my tires on my four wheel drive lifted <laughs> off road SUV are rubbing on the wheel wells to get down the driveway, um, yeah, might, might need some ramen. Weighs a lot less. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we all know the real answer is get, get a bigger truck. But um, but no, seriously, you need to look at what is. Um, irreplaceable in your life, I guess, in that house, what you would have to move, whether that be sentimental value, animals that can't be left behind, whatever it is, 
do you have a vehicle that you can clamp it the hell out of there? Now that brings us to a um, supply logistics shortage of the operational range of your vehicle. Um, in addition to it just being bad, bad business, ethanol bailout, that stupid ass ethanol makes gas go bad. If you can get gasoline without 10% ethanol in it, that shit lasts longer. Diesel lasts longer than that. Uh, so you would have to be a dude that has a whole lot more discipline than I to live a life where you were keeping of unleaded with that ethanol shit in it and you never, ever, ever filled up your vehicle at a gas station. You only filled up your vehicle out of your 200-gallon tanks, you and your wife's vehicle, and you were constantly topping that thing off to where it never got below 100 gallons. And in that type of environment, you have a lot of options. You can, you can leave uh, at, a, at, a, at a different time, and you know that you have the sustainability of fuel, even if you have to sit in those 26-hour traffic jams. You're not going to run out of gas with your clampet mobile on the side of Interstate 95 trying to get into Georgia, which is a very real possibility uh, for those Floridians that chose to get out. So the system is kind of set up against us, and I think if we were going to AAR uh, you know, the country or whatever, we should probably look at, hey, what I saw all these damn you know, power trucks, the cherry pickers, and I see them everywhere. Like I always, I wonder about that. There's a staging area up the road from my house where – in this gas station parking lot, five, six, ten of those things sit with the jacks down for like weeks at a time. And that's pre-poed equipment for storm power outages. And I guess the power company people are smart enough, somebody smarter than me, knows to get human beings to those vehicles to get in those trucks to move them to another part of the country on the grid or whatever. Um, from a capitalism standpoint, if you're Conoco, if you're BP, if you're Exxon, don't you want to sell more gas, even if it's at non-price gouging prices? <laughs> yes. Imagine every person, it's like old school Grey Group. When a dude comes in and wants the jungle boots, man, he got a size. He just walked out with that money. That could have been your money, and he walked out with it. Great Group, if you had the jungle boots in your size, you would have got that money. And so the, the fuel companies need to be AARing this shit and being like, all right, how do I get fuel truck drivers from you know, Nebraska – down to the refinery or to the pump line head, whatever, uh, to pick up gas and have fuel trucks coming in five days before a hurricane into the peninsula, into the Keys, I mean, to the point where the truck is parked in the gas station, hosed in the tank, underground tank full, and a half-mile line of cars cranking up, cranking up, cranking up, pumping that shit out. And that didn't happen. And that's not a government function. That's capitalism 101 right there. Yeah, but so hey, hey, Chuck, hey, Chuck. Yeah. You said two things, uh, you know, moving all our shit. Uh, now I have a 40-foot Connex. I just have to figure out how to get the Coast Guard to lift that damn Connex and set it down 100 miles north of here. But in all seriousness, you know, there were two events down here that that I went through. And one, I mean, there have been a number of hurricanes, but two that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum one was was rita was a cat five coming into houston and at the last minute it turned and i've seen the flood maps for a cat five and it's pretty devastating 
And it took us, as I said earlier, it took us 26 hours to drive what normally takes us two. And what was interesting was everybody, we, it was a parking lot on 45 north of town. And it took us eight hours to get to the other side of town. And those, I saw the worst in people. I saw more worse than people and nothing happened other than just a traffic jam. Uh, on the other hand, there were, there were folks in, in Harvey, at least where I live. I mean, I lost everything and, and there were people just like me that lost everything. Uh, fortunately we're still alive, but, but we lost everything and no one went batshit crazy. Let me ask you this though, Jeff. Jeff, to, 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 to jump on your point and Chuck's point is, is that I think that um, tax day floods last year uh, made mm-hmm. people too comfortable in Houston. Well, and people were like, and it not only talk on, on Chuck's point, um, it's not a government function to bring in more gas and stuff, but largely as a whole, um, you know, about three days before the hurricane was coming, I went to Walmart. You know, I got a one-year-old at the house. I was like, dude needs his whole milk. He needs food. We'll get raviolis. I'm at Walmart stocking up on shit, and I'm like, <laughs> where is everybody at? Like, nobody's exactly. preparing for this. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, the day of, everybody's at gas stations. You're going to H-E-B and Walmart. There's not a parking spot available. And people just – I don't know about if you did it yourself or some people, but I'm just like – People just underestimate because they're like, oh, we didn't flood with tax day floods. This can't be worse than tax day. And this shit oh, I, was way worse than tax day. On on Friday, long before, I mean, Friday, the hurricane, hurricane Harvey was off the coast, stalled off the coast of Corpus Christi. And we, we got the first rain bands, basically just a bad thunderstorm about noon. And I was off that day. I went into Kroger. I was just going to pick up some toilet paper. No big deal. I had some, but I was going to pick up some extra toilet paper. It started raining. It was unreal how people freaked out. And all of a sudden, the the, the store started, I mean, the, the shelves just stuffed, started flying off the shelves. It was unreal. Yeah, and I mean, just like, you know, like, like going back to Chuck's point on preparation is it's just like I'm of the viewpoint that – I had the luxury to sit back on Friday and Saturday, what you're talking about, and be like, shit, I'm good on the home front. Because the last thing that I wanted to worry about being at work was the wife and the kid. And we have a second story. So I knew if we flooded, they got super bad, they could go up to the second story. But, I mean, people just, I mean, whether it was businesses, it was gas stations with gas, it was Walmart with water, they kind of just rode off Harvey. And, I mean, Harvey pulled everybody's pump card on this and just came in here and slammed the shit out of us. And um, HEB, hats off to him because Walmart, everybody else was closed for five days. HEB would open for, you know, five, six hours. And, I mean, we would no shit send 10, 15 officers over there just to prevent, you know, chaos. But then people were showing up being like, oh, shit, I need my stuff. And it's like, dude, you're late. There's nothing left. You should have prepared in advance because my thought on it when I went and bought everything for my family was I'd rather have too much milk and too much canned raviolis and shit than not have enough. And that shit paid off because I'm sitting back watching the lines being like, I'm on duty. I'm not here to shop, but I'm watching people panic because you've got nothing at home 
you were completely unprepared. Well, those those cliches, the expect the unexpected, oh, that's a big one. And that you can't fix stupid. There, there's a bunch of people who are never going to learn to prep. And it wasn't, for the folks that prepped, it wasn't that. I, I mean, I had tons of supplies, but I did not expect three and a half feet of water in my house. So you can't do anything about that, though. There's nothing but, you can do about that. You can't they, you, like. Well, if the damn hey, there's helicopter, a guy, there, there's a guy south of town that that's called bullshit. That dude put up tiger dance around his house and kept the water out. <laughs> oh, is that the dude that he right put the inflatable? He put the inflatable around his <laughs> now house. Now you fill it. With, you you fucking fill it with water. It's kind of ironic. You fight water with water. But that dude spent a that's shitload crazy. of money and kept the water out of his house with tiger dams. That's crazy. <laughs> So the, the issue with taking Harvey or not taking Harvey seriously, and I, I think, you know, like I really perked up when I heard that it was that it was going up in, in um, category. But, you know, so I was starting to look at it. I was like, ooh, you know, I, for whatever reason, uh, Galveston got wiped out sometime in my childhood. And I remember that the hurricane hit the barrier island and, like, it did a lot of damage. They had to rebuild um, most of that city. And so so that was in my mind. I was like, wow, another big storm is going to hit the Houston area. That's going to suck. But, okay, people don't listen and, and whatever. But Florida is what happens when they do. And Florida had two things going for it. The recent memory of Harvey and news media people saying this is the largest storm that's ever been recorded ever anywhere in the history of humanity. But it happened uh, real quick, though. Stupid ass, fucking barrio, fucking refugee in Miami <laughs> can put two and two together. That the worst fucking storm in the history of humanity. You might want to get the fuck out of Florida, and that's why you ran out of shit five days beforehand. So we've got two ends of the spectrum: a properly stocked store that nobody's uh, going to on one side, and on the other side, a capitalist infrastructure that wasn't prepared to resupply stores. Five days before a fucking storm hit. Yep, you hit the nail on the head with that. Two opposite ends, yep. Well, Chuck, what you said about gas, you know, and and, and private companies, uh, having worked for ExxonMobil, having worked for a few other companies like that, I could see that being a I could see that being a, a, a motivator, uh, but I can tell you that during Rita, we had plenty of time to evacuate a lot of people didn't take it seriously because of i mean if you if you evacuated for every hurricane that occurred in the gulf folks would be leaving a lot and and rita rita started to to head toward houston and being a cat five when it built to a cat five and folks started leaving we had the whole set we had four or five lanes of southbound traffic on 45 there was no traffic and, and Governor Perry at the time uh, kept suggesting to everybody on the radio that they were going to have gasoline truck. We had people running out of gas on the freeway, 26 hours on the road, and we had people running out of gas on the freeway. Uh, you know, the gas stations had gas, but you couldn't get to them because you were stuck on the freeway. And they were going to bring trucks down. They had the, the, the means to bring those trucks down. And they, they couldn't even do it with a government. They couldn't even do it. 
Well, that's why they didn't do uh, – they didn't open up down here. Everybody was freaking out. They're like, oh, we want to do ContraFlow. We want to do ContraFlow. And they're like, yep. nah, dude, we got to bring <laughs> gas and trucks down. You left. You'll get through. It's going to take a long motherfucking time. You'll be all right. But if we don't bring that gas down and we open up ContraFlow, now all you guys are going to get – it'll take you 12 hours to get to wherever you're trying to get to, but you'll get halfway there and you'll run out of gas and there'll be no resupply. And there won't be any resupply for anybody down there either. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So then it exacerbates the whole problem once the hurricane actually hits because no gas has come in. No electricity has come in. Now people are out of power for, like, the last hurricane we had, I think, Wilma. I, I, I've always lived in the hood. I don't know what my problem is. I keep moving and staying and living in the hood. But the the neighborhood that I was in, like, 17 days without power. And people don't even have the, like, even if people wanted to prep, they don't have the money to prep for that shit. So you have 17 days without power. Now... My old neighborhood, which, like I said, 17 days without power, my old neighborhood was back up and running in two or three days because they prepped everything properly, the power companies and everything, and they didn't freak out and open up the contra flow to let people evacuate you know, faster. And, and it helped with people actually that did evacuate not run out of gas because that didn't really happen too much because they were still bringing the fuel in and putting all – they prioritized all the fuel on the evacuation routes and all that kind of good stuff. I just need a helo to take my Connex out. I know there's somebody here who can hook me up. So the uh, the other thing that, that it was really interesting, we talked about the human condition in the different storms and how, for the most part, in Harvey, uh, there wasn't a lot of people just being shitty people to each other and for those of you that are not Texans and have only ever met one or two Texans outside of their element um, they really really what it is a different culture um, down there uh, so they had that going for them they're, they're, they're Texans um, but uh, the, the other thing that we need to think about that applies to primary and secondary tactical gun community and whatever other call it. Uh, everybody wants to talk about being a warlord and being a badass. <laughs> but it's fucking the next civil war. Like, if you run out of your house because motherfucking 
President Obama got elected for his entire team. Too soon. We're back in your fucking house. And, and nobody wants to be the first frog to jump. And, and we're all laughing here. But, like, I would be much, much more comfortable sliding my homicide in with about three or four hundred other unclaimed bodies floating in the fucking General Harris County area. There wasn't 300 or 400 fucking bodies that were unfucking claimed. Guys, guess what? So if you fucking shot somebody with an AR-15 during a heartbeat, um, there's a very limited number of bodies involved, and, and the police eventually are going to do that detective shit. They're going to start detecting. Fucking, hey, they, they didn't catch me yet. Yeah, they didn't I, catch me I, yet. Everybody's default answer is, fucking, I'm going to get my 5.56 Jihad on, and that's why I need to evac this 20,000 rounds of ammo. And I also subscribe <laughs> to that newsletter. However, um, you can't just be like, oh, shit, baby out of formula, walk across the street, pow, 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 hot somebody up, grab their Similac, go back across the street. Because <laughs> there's three inches of rain. We still have – society has not collapsed. You cannot apply collapse of society, apocalyptic, baby formula procurement to a standard, regular, everyday emergency Chuck, I, Chuck, I've been I've been following your example, buddy. I've been I've been telling people down here, stay the fuck out of my yard. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying that there that there was not plenty of lawful need for some bees in this in this in, in this environment that we just went through. But what I'm saying is that the general lawlessness that that feeling that allows the other side of our community in terms of value system to think that it's okay to be lawless and take shit to the exact same motivation that allows somebody to grab a set of fuels out of a store is the exact yeah. same motivation that will allow Bubba to go, fuck it, I can get away with this shit. <laughs> it is a feeling that there will be no consequence for their actions. Fortunately, yeah. for most of us as gun owners, we are a little bit more um, about situationally aware about how much we're actually going to be able to get away with and we choose to not just hot people up but I'm saying is that the moral of the story is know your situation be prepared for all the environments and if you think you're going to be able to take your post hurricane apocalypse to 11 on day one you're wrong you're going to get that body is going to float up somewhere and somebody's going to run ballistics on that bitch it's going to happen I, I can tell you, I can tell you that the non-gun owners greatly outnumbered the gun owners and the volunteers that came to uh, take the stuff out of my house and basically demo my house. So we had a Jeff Lester Texas safety moment, and and the hog gun got pulled out, and I, everybody stayed away from the the weapons, but it it was a big deal. A lot of people were were uh, that that I had weapons in the house in Texas. Down here in Houston, you have a lot of of oil and engineering companies, and a lot of those folks are like this group. So, uh, I had folks in my company actually participate in the uh, in the uh, demo of my house, and it raised a few eyebrows when I pulled the SBR out with the can on it. 
and proceeded to give the safety talk about mold and PPE and oh by the way don't don't take any of this crap home because you'll get in trouble. <laughs> now that we have a, a slight break, let's see if Jeff's mic actually works. Nope, it doesn't. <laughs> and and uh, and honestly, Jeff's got some really good info. Much like much like David did, Jeff went, you know, from uh, he's up in Austin and he ended up out uh, you know, Beaumont, Port Arthur and he saw a lot of the same stuff that David did. Jeff, from a little bit different perspective. Can always see the bottom part of the, uh, the top part of it. Hurricane and bad, what's the rest of it? Oh, asking if the mic's working. Oh, no. Hurricanes are bad, and now your mic still sucks. So, David, tell us a little yes. bit about boat rescue. We talked a well, little bit about vehicles. So, interesting. Um, when this, I was prepared, I had our house prepared for the worst. Uh, I, had, I had plenty of supplies. I had plenty of water. I had both bathtubs filled with water in every container in the house. I had the food ready. I had extra gas canisters for our grill. I had everything. I had my weapons ready to go. They were out of the safe in case I had to move them quickly. Um, and then when I realized as, as soon as the worst went through and our neighborhood was untouched, I was, of course, grateful that we were, we were lucky, but then I also realized that I, I can't sit on my ass on the, my couch and do nothing. Um, so as soon as it was safe to get back, to get out on the road after the storm passed, I was fortunate in that I have a friend who works in emergency management for one of the main power companies in the area, a national power company. Of course, because of this, he was at work basically kind of 24-7, um, he also has a large kayak, sit on top kayak, a big one. Well, I contacted him and we were fortunate also in that internet was working and text messaging was working. Everything was still working, which was extremely helpful. Um, and of course, you know, obviously you may not have all that in a, in a disaster. So that was a big, a big plus. I contacted him. And said, hey, you're working right now, emergency management. I am, our, our house is good. Our neighborhood is good. I want to do something. Can you point me to locations that I can reach in the Houston area? Well, I live North Houston. He said, yes. He had up-to-date information. Hey, there's neighborhoods here, here, and here in the North Houston area. I think you can get close to them in your truck. If you can make it to my house, I've got a big-ass kayak in the garage. Get it and use it. I got to his house, I loaded his kayak up, and I just went where he told me. I would drive my pickup, this is for the first two days after the, the storm, drive my, have my medic bag, my truck, and the kayak. I drove my truck in his, to the neighborhoods, and this was so soon after the storm that really these are neighborhoods nobody yet for rescue or anything. So I drive my truck as far as I could go, get off kayak, and just get into the neighborhood by kayak. Um, how story houses, everyone was already up, trapped up on the second floor and literally, uh, I had a little whistle with me and I was blowing it. So people could look out their window and see that someone was out there. They were flagging me down out of their window. I'd get to the house. Um, and they'd either come out their window or come down the, the stairs and through the water. 
sliders. So I get up super to the, to the first super flooded house that has people in it that need rescued. Spiders over every dry inch of that damn house. Spider uh, escaping the floor everywhere. The people are on the inside of the house saying, we can't open our door. Can you help kick? I don't want to go anywhere near that door. So that's just one little thing I want to throw out there. But what would happen is I get the people out. I'd get off the kayak. I, the kayak could hold two to four people, depending on if it was adults or kids, and maybe a couple backpacks. That was all they were able to leave the house with. And then I had a rope on the kayak, and I would walk out of the neighborhood until we could get to dry ground enough for them to get off the kayak. Literally, in some of the areas, the water was over my head, and I was swimming, dragging, holding a rope, pulling the kayak. Uh, Health-related issue. Today, I have ringworm. So... Um, Sandpaper bleach. Well, I'm, I am, I am <laughs> fortunate. It's only in one small area on my hip, so I'm doing everything I can to, to treat it properly and, of course, make sure it doesn't spread. But I, that was some very, very nasty waters that I was in. Um, so the first two days was all kayak. And, and I've got to say, I, in a shit-hits-the-fan situation, that turned out to be very useful. And my friend's kayak helped a lot of people out of their houses. So uh, I was very thankful that he had it and thankful that he was in a position in emergency management to be able to feed me real-time needs. So I would suggest if you can find people in emergency management and emergency operations and make friends with them. Very useful to have. Um, One thing that stood out the first two days when I was doing rescues in Houston was occasionally the utter stupidity of people. was in a neighborhood. Everyone was trapped on their second floors because the flooding was so bad. I'm getting people out of houses, making the trek out to the neighborhood, dropping off, going back. I go by a house. A woman's upstairs out of, looking out of her window. She flags me down. I paddle over to her. said, I'm here. Get your stuff. Let's get you out of here. She said, can you go back in 20 minutes? I, I need to take a shower. <laughs> I, I, I told her, no, I could not do country, that. Man. And I'm out. But I can't believe it. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Ridiculous. Um, after that, after that first two days, I loaded up my truck and I just headed east. Was trying to get to Beaumont, Port Arthur, uh, any way that I could. Was able to get in. And, and in my mind, I'm looking at Facebook groups and things. A lot of the social media was awesome because you could get so much information. It was also horrible because you could get so much information, much of it at odds with with each other. So that caused some cluster fucks and some things like that. But on the whole, it was, it was a, a huge boon to be able to have something like that. So I got into Beaumont and went to where I knew they would be setting up staging areas. I was able to make it to uh, shopping centers, the malls, the huge parking lots, the malls weren't flooded staging areas for all kinds of rescue, all kinds of government organizations. They were staging in those places from there, I was able to link up. It was my truck, my med bag, any gear that I could bring with me, and the kayak in the back. I was able to link up with groups that had boats but didn't have medics. Outstanding. Grab your medic bag and come with us. So then I was able – and I also have uh, swift water rescue training and things like that. So I was able to help in, in different ways. Um, and so the boats were awesome. Everything from boats that really – 
in many cases were too big to be being used in those narrow floodwaters in the neighborhoods to little John boats that were awesome in some situations and deadly in others because you would be going through a neighborhood and things were great, but then that neighborhood had an, had an opening to a huge field and the John boat would hit that area and the water was so swift that they could barely control it. So um, a lot of things that you can learn just from, from being in and viewing those situations. Um, and medically, four days I did water rescues. The fifth day I did uh, medical triage assessment and treatment. I was seeing consistently was people that had not diabetics. I haven't had my insulin for four days. They either didn't have enough insulin in the flood. Same thing with people with heart issues and heart medications that they need basis. I saw a lot of people that did not have meds. So some being able to store meds, or if you know a disaster is coming, trying to then get ahead on your meds. The problem is a lot of these people, insurance won't cover that. Oh, well, we'll only give you so enough for so much. And, well, that's not going to last me through the storm when I can't get to the pharmacy because it's going to be flooded out. So people really need to start thinking about life-saving medication that they need and how they might procure excess um, the other thing that I saw, ton of infections. The water was so nasty. People had cuts and scrapes. And the next thing you know, it is getting infected. And it's not, it's hard to blame them. Some of them, it was almost impossible to be out of the water and dry. So these things happen. You end up with sepsis. Um, but in my opinion, the things that I saw the most were medication issues and infection issues. So all things, if you're looking forward to the future um, and future possible events, be thinking about medication stocks and about having things on hand that you can get a jump on preventing potential infections and things of that nature. Cool. Jeff, are you with us yet? He fell asleep. Uh, on the uh, on the other side of that, I, I ended up driving my truck through waters that were higher than I probably should have. I didn't I didn't damage my truck in any way, but it scared the shit out of me. Um, so that being said, my truck is in awesome condition, but I'm selling it because I'm going to get a bigger one. So if anybody is looking for a great, well cared for, low mileage truck, let me go. Let me know. <laughs> I'm getting something taller. <laughs> Just a little bit of oil and a little bit of water in the oil. No big deal. No, no. Honestly, my truck was perfectly fine. It was just the water was just high enough that it, it was uh, some scary situations. Sometimes my truck ended up coming out of it perfect, though I did have to clean it really well because after spending uh, three days in these temperatures and humidities and being soaking wet, sleeping in my truck, it smells like shit on the inside. <laughs> so I had to take everything out and spray it and clean it and let it dry. It's great now, but those are lessons that you certainly learn from these sorts of things. So you're in the market for an MRAP. 
I would say maybe, except I spend an awful lot of time in those, and I, I pretty much hate them now. So, <laughs> okay, dump truck. Yeah, that's... that one that uh, that one that Shockey's department has is a piece of shit. I fucking hate that thing. <laughs> how, do you, how do you really feel? <laughs> it's the way I feel. But um, the the other side of the of the water rescues were just goes back to the gym and their willingness to put their lives on the line for complete strangers. Mm-hmm. Because Amen. the huge majority of boats that I saw out there were specialized training, no specialized equipment, but they knew that people needed help, and they were out there to do it. I put so, it at 95%. Redneck. Our civilian boats. Absolutely. Redneck gun owners. <laughs> yes. Candy <Yeah>. Navy. <laughs> So you're saying during some of these rescue operations, there was fishing. When I was in uh, Port Arthur, staging was at one of the malls filled with, you've got, you've got government organizations, you've got civilian organizations, just packed. A, when I was in a, uh, a bus, staging was at one of the malls. Am I coming in? Some, I'm hearing something. I'm hearing myself. I'm not sure. What yeah, that. Jeff's mic is starting to work. Ah, okay. um, that's what we heard was the lag coming through his mic. It's dry. So, it's working. So I am, I'm in this parking lot, and uh, this small parking lot, staging area, a bus pulls up. Uh, uniformed federal corrections officers get off. They offload a large group of prisoners, say something to them, get back on the bus and drive off, leaving the prisoners standing there. <laughs> Now, at that point, I was actually assisting at an aid station when rescues would come in. Two of the prisoners walk over, and they have issues. Uh, one of them uh, has a cut on his foot. One of them has this and that. They, they need some. And we were like, what's the deal? And they're like, well, we're not far out from our release dates. They drove us here, opened the door, said, you're free, you're on your own, and they drove off. There you go, Chuck. There you go. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) So that was really interesting. We treated them. And then they, uh, last I saw, they were in a group kind of wandering around with a confused look on their face, wandering around the mall (laughs) parking lot. Is there a movie like that? (laughs) Yeah, George Clooney. That's actually actually how I ended up in the rescue. There you go, Jeff. So it's a work release. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff and I met in the joint. He didn't mention that. <laughs> so, Jeff, now that you're working, now that your audio works, yes. What What do you think the biggest takeaways, I, uh, or what, I, what can I, you add? For the, as a point of courtesy, I'm forced to summarize greatly. If you hear my uh, three year old asking to uh, pee pee on the potty, uh, forgive me. Um, I've got uh, from from what I picked up. I mean. Uh, Chris, your comments about platform is totally true. I mean, to summarize, my my experience was pretty much uh, me and a buddy of mine. I'm a I'm a Marine Corps Reserve officer. Uh, Pat Rogers and I knew each other that way and kind of knuckled up on the Marine thing for years. And uh, and I'm a Reserve cop in Buda, Texas. And when they said they needed boat drivers and EMTs, which I happen to be an EMT, I said, you know, that's got smacking you on the head. Let's get there. And um, and we headed down there. Chris, your, your comments on platform regarding MRAPs and all that, definitely true. Uh, boats and trucks 
Um, and everything that bridges that gap in between was huge. The guys that everyone makes fun of that, that bought that five ton on eBay 10 years ago, vind vindicated. Um, the civilians that had uh, the, the military restored five tons and seven tons um, were, were gold because they weren't encumbered by the orders process of guard and FEMA. They just went where the need was and got there. And by the time, you know, a lot of the, the uh, high water folks from the government got in there, you know, the, the immediate need had been, had been met. I have friends in Houston SWAT that had the Bearcat. They said good things about the Bearcat. But again, they had to know where to go. And a lot of times, you know, you needed something that, that floated to figure out what the problem was to get there. We, when we were out in Orange, Texas, we kind of encountered um, circumstances where you were floating for a while and then you had two miles of dry road where you had to roll and then you're floating again. And when you're, when you're towing an 18-foot Mako boat, um, that, that, that has unique problems associated with that right like you gotta you gotta be able to go on dry road float again and then go on dry road again and one of our most effective platforms believe it or not was a civilian monster truck like no shit a bigfoot that was towing an airboat <laughs> and we could literally go anywhere and so i've got law enforcement markings on with a carbine plates a helmet i climb into the back of a monster truck and i ask the guys you know what kind of supplies do you have on board and the guy just kind of thumbs to the back seat. And I look down and he's got an M4 and two cans of Copenhagen in the back seat. <laughs> and his name is Buck Thomas. <laughs> yeah. I shit you not. Those two guys who were from Central Texas, and I, I, I don't have any way to get a hold of them. It was, it was a pretty dynamic situation. Those two guys were responsible for rescuing 20 people that needed medical assistance. And there was no... The Zillow app wasn't responsible for that. The government wasn't responsible for that. It was just people showing up that, that, you know, wanted to help. I mean, that was crazy. So I would say platform was a, was a big issue there. Um, responsiveness versus government, government versus private was huge. Uh, I started my journey, you know, again, hearing in, you know, the public media outlets, hey, it's bad. And I'm always skeptical of media. So I'm like, is the need really there? And once I confirmed that, you know, on Facebook and, and with some phone calls with some buddies, ended up with a couple of other veterans saying, hey, let's go down there. Our group swelled to about 16, and uh, it got as small as five. Uh, at times, we were joined with Coast Guard. At times, we were on our own. Um, but it was pretty much just, you know, civilians doing what, you know, on our own, you know, veterans and civilians doing what we, what we needed to do. And by virtue of my law enforcement affiliation, could go into an, an EOC badge my way in, gather the intel, go back out to the parking lot to the volunteers and say, let's go to this area of need. We would go there, conduct rescues, and all the while, God love the guys in uniform. I'm one of them on the weekends. But, you know, the guard, FEMA, guys like that, there was a lot of, of both rolling stock, aircraft, boats that were waiting on orders. And that I saw was a, was a big problem, was just the – the encumbrances of the establishment waiting on, you know, the, the wheels turn slow to get those guys to the point of need. And we were able to, to shortcut that by just being volunteers. Uh, somebody mentioned before the crowdsourcing thing. The good thing in the is the same thing. There's too much shit. Um, you try to get on Zillow and it's 30,000 people, you know, saying I need or saying I'm coming to town with a boat. 
and command and control exists for a reason. And, and, you know, the, uh, the crowdsourcing and the civilian thing was following that way. So we kind of had a hybrid model, my group, we would go in, gather intelligence from the government guys, and then go out and meet that point of need without the encumbrances of, of, you know, the command and control process. I think one of the um, biggest, uh, things that I saw with what he's talking about with the social media and the social and the apps is that information would be put out. I have someone in distress at this address. Right. What would happen is that person or that group that was in distress might get rescued, but that information may not be put back out. That information about people in distress would still be getting spread out. Now you have people risking their own safety to go to an address where people have already been rescued. Correct. That was a, that was a big problem. And just quickly, uh, I want to add, I saw in the chat on YouTube that someone asked about uh, Marine Corps deploying AAVs. That's absolutely true. Uh, they're amphibious assault vehicles. Uh, they rolled up into the mall parking lot in a group of six, I believe, um, ready to go out and do rescue. So that is absolutely true. And I, and I saw a great deal of, of individual initiative, not unlike what you hear in 9-11. You know, I was in the missionary of Houston rolled up and saw some civilian uh, little bird type uh, helicopters landing. And here's a guy in Marine camis landing these guys marshalling in LZ. So I go up and introduce myself and thinking I'm, I introduced myself by first name. I'm a major in the reserves. He turns around and I, you know, I figure it's a FAC or a JTAC or somebody impressive. It's an 0311 infantryman from 123 Lance Corporal <laughs> who just knew a guy who, had some helicopters and making it, making it happen. Exactly. Yeah. I think that was going to be Mike from sons of Liberty Gunworks in San Antonio. They ended up bringing down three helicopters and doing rescue and resupply. Awesome and they, guys. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, ran into a couple of other guys, uh, a veteran owned business, uh, L and T dive solutions out of Fort Myer, Florida. Ironically enough, they've, they haven't been home yet. They, they transferred to, to Fort Myer and they're down in Florida now with their families elsewhere. Um, these guys, it's better known small business, a Navy diver, and they just showed up because there was work. You know, there was a lot of that going on where guys just showed up because there was work. And and there's probably, I would say, from our team directly, probably about two dozen direct rescues and probably involvement about approximately 50, uh, just because of guys that showed up looking for work. And so that that was one of my big uh, takeaways was, you know, the, the volunteerism was huge. Um Human, uh, human nature on the, on the positive side, uh, talking about the gas demand earlier, I'm over here shouting at my computer screen while you guys are talking about this. Um, the, in Austin, my wife, you know, everything, you could have played golf in Austin through this entire thing, save about two days of thunderstorms, right? But the, the social media and the media was so prevalent, was so prevalent. Uh, that people were panicking at the pumps and creating a demand problem, not a supply problem. And my wife was getting in shouting matches at the gas station. She's calling me and telling me about this on the phone. I'm wearing a hard plate helmet carbine, you know, and I'm in West orange, Texas, and nobody's bitching at anybody. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's, you know, in conflict, anything like that. So my takeaway from that was something I kind of already knew, but it was a proof of concept in that in times of chaos, it's not so much the disaster itself, but, but the, the, the human-caused disorder that results. Um, because there was no shortage where I was, but there was an imagined, imagined shortage back home that was causing a problem. 
Um, yeah, it's Mickey. And then, of course, the uh, the uh, speaking of of the human uh, forces of nature, you know, I also in all the rough spots we were in. I mean, if you guys know Texas, I was in Viter for a lot of the time. Okay, I saw one black face in Viter, and he had a Ruger P eighty nine stuck down the front of his PFD. He was not from Viter, and he said, "I'm here to help." You know, I'm a human being. I'm a veteran. I'm here to, you know, and I I heard one gunshot the entire time that I was uh, on this deployment, and it I don't think it had anything to do with with uh, the disaster. I think somebody was shooting a nutria and getting lunch or something. I mean, it. We saw the best in people everywhere. In the worst affected areas, we saw the best in people, and yep. uh, I think it's important to remember as you make your own personal plan. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. About how to get ready, and that's a whole other conversation for me. I, I think I... I thought I was ready, but it was just a, a function of being organized enough to respond. Um, you just have to keep in mind that people are stupid and, and uh, you know, human nature is a real thing. And that's probably a more immediate threat than maybe the actual event itself. So with that, I've, I've talked a lot. Uh, one more grunt joke. Um, one of my guys, a, a Sugarland cop who went on his own time and dime, who's a Marine Corps reservist, the first thing he did when he realized his house was flooding was he got out his e-tool and he dug a trench around his house in Sugarland? And I'm telling you what, by the he, he got flooded he out. He got flooded out, but by the time he got home, his wife had everything pretty much fixed. I slept on his floor my last night on the deployment, and uh, and I think what she said something to the effect of a grunt with a seventy percent solution. Is better than uh, is better than like an engineer with a hundred percent solution. So I hey 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 violent <laughs> violent extreme overkill always works initially, but I but no shit. So he's at his he's at his house and all he has is an e tool. He doesn't have a fucking shovel. Well, I think he had some friends come over. I think he had some friends come over. <laughs> that sounds like some grunt stuff. You're sitting there looking at it. You got a shovel and an e tool, and you're like, uh. Uh, fucking e-tool. Yeah, but you, if you remember back, Chris, you remember back to your e-tool qual. You can fold that thing 90 <laughs> degrees and go like caveman for about five minutes. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. You're right about that. You guys so. need to stop making fun of Shockey. That's just mean. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I hope that wasn't, I hope that wasn't too much. And no, I, that was I kinda, great. I jumped to the actual, to the actual stuff and not the background, but the bottom line was that the volunteerism and guys that, that want to step up and do what they can do made a big difference. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes the wheels turn slow on the official side. So, so I have uh, a question. I have a question for the panel who were there. You just said it 
the 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 wheels turn slow. What uh, what exactly did FEMA do? Huh. Mm-hmm. The I will I'll I'll address that first because I'm gonna I'm gonna like I'm gonna have people with uh, torches and pitchforks at my house. But <laughs> the FEMA USAR teams, the the USAR assets that deployed from all over the United States. I saw guys from Ohio, New York, New Jersey, the Texas Task Force One. Those guys, those paramedics, those firefighters, those rescue professionals that that come that converge on the place, those guys are consummate professionals, absolutely on point. Uh, the downside is they need a deployment order. They need to get there. They need to get told to go. Exactly. And there were times yep. at EOCs where I'd go in and gather intel, and on a knuckle up or a buddy who's a fireman or a cop or something basically got told to tail those guys out of the parking lot because they could not legally tell civilians to go, but they needed the help. So they would look at us and say, look, you see those guys over there? When they roll, maybe roll behind them. And we've got to some areas of need that way. The dudes that are actually performing that work are solid individuals, and they're in it for the right reasons, and and they're good dudes. It's just that the incident command system is very – is very uh, it's it's heavy, right? It's a heavy footprint, so it moves yeah. slow. Just like think of it as big army, you know. I mean that's that's kind of how FEMA is when they come in. So, is what it is. I'd have to agree with Jeff. The guy the guy that came out uh, looked at my house, looked at it this morning at seven o'clock in the morning. He actually made a uh, an early morning appointment, and he was from Vegas. Did an awesome job. Uh, some of the other stuff, a lot of paperwork, but the, but the guy that actually came out did an awesome job. Cool. I don't have any particular FEMA uh, accounts. Uh, I spent the majority of my time linking up with civilian groups, small bands, groups of guys with boats that, uh, one, needed additional bodies, and two, were really happy to have a medic and someone who had some training in water rescue to be on board with them. Uh, the other part of that, when I was doing medical, I linked up with a group called golden triangle emergency, something, something like that. It was a, it was like a civilian organization, but they were providing medical care and they were working in league with the government, with the U S army. And they had set up, uh, in a, at a mall parking lot and they had a full, they had tents, full medical facility, all kinds of medical gear, the, and, and equipment and meds, and the military came in, also brought in a bunch of meds and gear, and then the military was going out in their Blackhawks and doing rescues and bringing the people in to us where we would triage, assess, and treat, and things like that. Um, and, of course, this was what we're going on, I think, day five when, when I was doing that. So I would say that there were what I did see of the government organizations that were doing the work, it was helpful and they were bringing needed materials and people to the party. But the majority of the work in the party was done up front by civilians, by people, by people helping people. Yeah. And I, and I think if we have, I don't know if there's anybody on the call now or anybody watching that what comes from the SF community from the army, but something SF knew a long time ago, back in the late fifties when they started doing what they do, is that engagement of local assets and cooperation by local leadership, whether it's tribal or community or whatever, is a huge part of getting your job done. 
there's guys in government that understand that. And, and when we were attached to the hip with Coast Guard, the way that happened was when we were in Port Arthur, I had a Coast Guard uh, bosun, a, a warrant officer, come up to me and say, hey, can you help my convoy get from Port Arthur to Orange? I don't know where that is. Wisconsin, what's the best way to get there? We assisted them in, in getting that convoy up to Orange and then helping them find with civilian helicopter assets that we were privy to through that guy I mentioned through the Marine I mentioned, find good put in points for their airboats. And, and it was a personality, it was a personality driven thing where this guy understood that, Hey, here's some civilians that can help me do my job with the boats that I have because I don't have the local knowledge. And, and that's how that happened is the coast guard got our help and that's how that happened. So it's a personality game. Just because somebody works for the government or the Coast Guard or FEMA doesn't mean that they don't want to get the job done. So that was our experience. Cool. And my, my son wants to watch Mickey, as you guys know. I don't blame him. <laughs> well, that's what I want to do, too. See, I knew Chris was going to say something like that. I love Disney. It's At least you're favorite. honest. <laughs> well, do you guys have any closing remarks with any of this? Uh, I had absolutely some of the best beef brisket I've ever had in my life in a parking lot by some dude with a big-ass barbecue grill in a staging area in Port Arthur. I will remember that beef brisket forever. And that just goes back to my biggest takeaway from all of this, the incredible generosity of the average person helping their fellow human being out in times like these eclipses in my opinion, all of the, the bad news stories of human nature that you're going to see, because if it bleeds, it leads the bad news, the bad nature that's going to dominate the headlines. But from where I was at, human kindness and care and concern were dominating everything. Good stuff. I can probably, uh, probably say, um, and related to the gun thing a little bit so that everybody can kind of understand this. Um, you know, we always talk about don't don't find out that you suck in the middle of a gunfight. So train prior, you know, make sure your gear is set up, all, all those things that we all do from a defensive standpoint. You know, finding I've now found out that I suck at shooting or, you know, I found out that I suck in the middle of a gunfight and I found that I suck in the middle of needing to use tools to save my house. <laughs> so... You know, both of those things turned out well for me, obviously, uh, still being here and still having all my property intact and stuff like that. But you know what? Um, there are a lot of there is a there is a large segment of the population for, for primary and secondary and, and a number of other places that I hang out in that have the same skill set that I have and want to be able to do this stuff and want to be able to uh, deal with a natural disaster or deal with their gun stuff or deal with their personal defense and things like that. And you have to go and you have to seek the stuff. You, it's not just gonna like, it's not just gonna, Oh, I know how to use tools now. Like you're going to either get thrown into the frying pan and it might may or may not work out, or you're going to seek that stuff prior. And I can be right now. As much as as much as I want another freaking set up a, a, a Roland special or set up another Glock 34 for whatever, I can guarantee you I'll be using that money on tools so that I can protect my house and protect my family and do those things because that's that's part of the thing, right? That's part of being a responsible adult and being able to do adult shit 
is to square away everything, not just your thing that is fun and that you like to do. Um, so that, that's my takeaway from it. You know, prep your stuff and learn how to do your things that you need to be able to do. It's a three-dimensional observation right there. It's real life. And it can't just be Roland special. Even though it's cool and Roland's right there, you need to expand that. And Yeah. And well, you can't, and I think you, his comments are, I'm sorry, his comments are awesome, but it also begs the question of just how many things do you suck at? It seems the list is just adding up and adding up and adding we up. We can oh, keep on going. I suck at everything, dude. <laughs> okay, I, all right. I'm, I'm terrible. I can't, I, do you know how long it took me to put this shirt on? It's, uh, but that is a nice shirt. I'm sure Aaron Cowan appreciates it. It is. It is. It's, it's uh, you know, headshot advocate. I like to do that. See, today I'm I'm wearing a special shirt, and it ha- actually has something to do with this uh, this modcast. But it's it's the Adam Peeney shirt. Um, Very nice. Uh, my anyone in the military, well, at least on the combat arms side, may uh, get this. I'm today wearing my medium speed some drag t-shirt ah that's that's very nice i like that i like that that's very good i've yeah. decided to, i've decided to wear my gray man shirt but you're um, a hat. but uh, well that's that you're a trained observer matt um <laughs> i would i would say it it's something that probably all of us were exposed to at some point but uh be ready so you don't have to get ready which is something one of my my second platoon sergeant who was better than my first taught me as a lieutenant it's nice that you've got all this shit laying around, but you know, how quickly can you move with it and in what fashion? And when I found out I had to pack up a boat I didn't own and get to the Gulf coast, it took me damn near an entire day just to, I mean, I'm ready for just about anything as I'm sure a lot of you guys are, at least you think you are where I am, but the ability to load out and, and get into a situation like that would have been better if I'd have been more, organized let's say had what i needed but maybe not in uh, uh stratified by category of disaster that's something i'm going to do differently cool so uh so, some of my takeaways were uh and and they were they were kind of reinforced by some of the stuff that Jeff said. uh uh i looked at this is probably being an enduring problem where after the rescue phase was over, the lawlessness phase was going to go for longer. So I started reaching out immediately trying to find agencies that could actually deputize me and put me on the job. Cause it's one thing to have a gun, but you are only effective at, at a specific end of the spectrum, which which slides left during during lawlessness, but you're still on the end of the usefulness spectrum. Uh, whereas if you're badged and can do badge stuff, like detain people, arrest people, hand them over to local law authorities, put handcuffs on somebody, and not be criminally liable for that, uh, you're bringing something to the table. What you're losing, that I'm hearing, is that agility of being able to work outside of the system. So... I was trying so hard to plug myself into the system uh, that I potentially missed the opportunity to just go there, find a home, and and plug it. Uh, I wasn't going to get paid either way, whether I got raised right hand, get deputized, you know, by the U.S. Marshals, uh, and then and then hop on one of their posses, going around just looking for work, or whether I was there with my tin, you know, in a Ziploc bag in my right pocket, 
and just badging as I need to to get in to get intel, like was being said, to liaise with the locals there, wasn't going to get paid either way. So uh, looking at that again, if I go forward, uh, I think I'll be a little bit more uh, willing to, to pull trigger and just kind of, uh, you know, when you look at the, the military troop leading procedures, initiate movement it is way up there at the top uh, of that uh, of the uh, of the troop leading procedures. So uh, get, getting into the getting into the AO helps you out uh, rather than and it's it's just easier than trying to coordinate over the internet or or anywhere else. You know, just pack up your crap. Whoever gets there first with the most is going to have the most impact. Just just go. Um, so then that brings to that brings me to some of the equipment stuff. Uh, coppers. If you're operating around these MRAPs, all of your military veterans know that lots of people died in rollovers and specifically in rollovers resulting in drowning uh, during the GWAT. So you need to buy fucking pony bottles. And you need to have a pony bottle for every member of your fucking SWAT team. And then you need to have extras behind every seat bracketed to the wall. Those are not fire extinguisher holders. One of them is. The rest of those empty brackets that you got when you rolled it off the 1033 magic trailer were to hold pony bottles. So you need to uh, take one day of SWAT training and go do some water PT. And then part of that water PT needs to be ditch and dawn out of your current tactical vest that you're wearing. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. While wearing a pony ball, you need to put some, some lead weights in your ammo pouches. Jump in the deep end of the pool, pull your pony bottle out of your pouch, stick it in your mouth, start getting some air so you're not freaking out, and then by feel, sort through your problem of getting your vest off and getting yourself back to the surface. Um, Similarly, you might want to SWAT train your guys in a little bit of hazing, whatever, flip them around, flip them around, flip them around, and stuff them in the back of the MRAP blindfolded and make them by feel only operate the safety latches to, um, to open up the door or activate the turret completely by feel. Because worst case scenario, they're going to have to do that upside down and underwater. And as long as the dude can breathe, you're good. He, if he can figure the sorting piece out of you got five plus minutes of air on those uh, on those ponies at sea level so uh, so you're good man get the, get the get the tit in your mouth and calm the fuck down and then start problem solving in the dark in the scary in the back of your truck uh, and 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 Harris County and Shockey that dude they were two feet of an unknown asphalt in the middle of a black pool in front of them from being upside down and they just chose wisely and, uh, and two inches left or uh, two feet left or right. Uh, one of them, one of them bears and wraps would have been upside down, uh, which brings me to my personal kit. Uh, I had pony bottles. I had uh, flotation devices and things like that when I was still in the military. 
I got out, and I was like, man, I'm going to need play care, I'm going to need plates, I'm going to need this. And I'm starting to rebuild my stuff, but I didn't look at any of the contingency equipment. I ain't a fucking commando no more. What do I need? What do I need? Water, maritime, whatever. Well, as I started reaching out and calling the marshals and sending dudes email about going down there to be a cop, I was looking at having to be in a play care in the water. Guess what? I didn't have any of that maritime shit. So uh, my on my list of things to do is research flotation cummerbunds at a minimum and potentially even look at getting an entire first spear frog uh, kit, which, by, by the way, first spear on the tactical side has got the best integrated water stuff and that has to deal with one of the guys was one of their head dudes in the company lives in Virginia beach. He talks to the seals. He's at uh, little Creek and Dan Mac all the time. So the interface between that water East side community and that factory is tighter than any other industry relationship. So first spear when it comes, you know, uh, when it comes to uh, body armor, that is also other things like flotation first spear leads, leads the, Leads the, the, the way in, in that. And their frog kit is a buoyancy compensator. Uh, so just like with scuba gear, you can add a little bit of water. Uh, it's got cartridges so you can plate. You could still have side plates. Uh, so I'm potentially going to set up a maritime rig for some type of hurricane natural disaster stuff in the future. And it'll, it'll be the type of rig where I'm not walking, I'm not riding in a boat with a life jacket on. But if some panicky person reaches into the boat and pulls me out because the boats are overloaded. And we told them we can't take you anymore. And now I'm upside down with a rifle slung in the dark and eight feet of water, six feet of water. Um, I can, I can, I can pop the balloons and uh, or pop the cartridges and inflate and pop like a cork to the surface. Or I can add just enough air to be neutrally buoyant so I can swim my ass around and I'm not floating and bobbing in the damn water like a uh, like a buoy. Uh, and, and and so I'm looking at equipment things that are going to allow me to do that, allow me to be kitted up appropriately for LE tasks while still being able to perform a waterborne mission. So I guess I'll leave it at that. I was going to comment on that, but yeah, I could also see I could see how that's uh, helpful where you're at currently. Jeff. Your final thoughts? Is he frozen? Is he asleep? That's a smarter Jeff, right? Yeah. A wiser Jeff. Yeah, he, he's yeah. muted. He's not, uh, he's not working. Yeah, he must have. He's fallen asleep, clearly. At Thanksgiving, my grandpa always does that. <laughs> like, Jeff, are you there? Yeah, we see you moving. We just don't hear you. <laughs> yeah nothing to add jeff and i got a double thumbs it's like he's got a heats bottle in and he's trying to breathe underwater oh there's well, gotta I'll, be something I'll, I'll quickly add what yeah what i said earlier on the medical side um if you or anyone in your family has, which absolutely have to have daily medication, curing excess for stock in the event of an emergency because I saw a ton of people without their needed meds and it was affecting them greatly. 
And the other side of that is, of course, be, infection is one of the biggest killers in something like this when you have all this nasty water. So um, be concerned and or learn about, uh, you know, cleanliness. Infections. Yeah, hey, for those prepper people, and I, I'm not as far as like one I mean, prepper people that prepper co- uh, culture uh, are on the blogs. And the blogs talk about, you know, and I know a little bit, um, uh, are that if you, you honestly, the type of meds you're taking cannot get prescription given to you, uh, you need to take a serious look at potentially um, low, lowering dosage term to stock in advance, maybe take a fast day that you're on where missing a single dose will still maintain the levels in your body, all that. You need to know what the positive and negative effects of the meds are on you. Wean some of that stock out, cut it off to the side and, and put it on. Secondly, on the on the um, nastiness, if you're going to be a rescuer, you need to look at potentially on antibiotics. And if you can't get antibiotics, the people that, um, going through veterinary channels and getting some uh, some antibiotics and having them on board. That's where I was at. So if you were, if you lost compromise of your skin, I'll. You were given a pill pack, and part of that was, was Motrin and just like, that's all I can tell you. But the other part of that was this, uh, disinfecting it, it upon And I saw guys recycled for cellulitis, corn prick on their knee because they weren't wearing uh, knee pads or whatever. Next thing you know, they've got, you know, red lines going up their skin and just from, from little itty bitty scratches. So in the military, we were issued uh, these little tiny, they were in the old Marine Corps uh, first aid kits. They used to wear on the side of their deuce gear uh, butt pack. And this little tiny brown bottle of iodine with a green cap on it. And I carried one of them some bitches in my breast pocket. And every time I got a scrape or scratch, I turned it red with monkey blood. I put iodine directly on the scratch at the time of injury to stay ahead um, to stay ahead of that. So uh, you know, I can only imagine the environments that these guys were in, being in that kind of, of crappy crap. So you need to you need to disinfect it when it happens. You need to try to prevent from getting scuffed up in the first place. You need to consider if you're going to be submerged to go ahead and prophylactically get on antibiotic. And then uh, if you don't have a good set of Tiva slash flip-flops in your gear loadout, you need to be out of your foot gear every second that you're not in that nasty, shitty water. Uh, letting them breathe dry and airing those fucking feet out. Uh, so, yeah, even jungle, you're fucked. You're fucked. Three days straight wet, same pair of socks. Your feet are fucked. Uh, you've got to get them out and air them out. That is that is absolutely true. Uh, I'm I'm currently on antibiotics for immersion foot, and uh, little TMI here for you guys. Had no idea that a dude could get a yeast infection. Got one of those. Um, the 
but that actually that did happen because because we were in the and I knew well enough. I'd been in a boat company. I knew being submerged would do that to you. Uh, but we, you know, in the combat boots six days straight. So what we found was, yeah, being in the flip flops any moment that you could when you weren't operational in the craft was definitely indicated. You need the foot protection, but you need to be in flip flops when you're not uh, operational. Uh, people will stare at you. Screw them. It's your feet. And uh, the minute I got home, tetanus shot, um, the the yeast medication, the uh, the immersion foot treatment. I got a friend who's a doc who hooked me up. But having those relationships beforehand is positive. And the other thing to echo what you just said, the uh, the types of illnesses you'll encounter were more civilian EMS type illnesses. You know, we we pulled people elderly who had uh, hip fractures from falls or walking too much through the water. Uh, we, we had people who uh, were four days overdue for uh, kidney dialysis. We had people who were three days overdue for insulin who were type 2 diabetics. You're going to find a lot more of that. I mean, I know East Texas is the picture of personal health, right? So nobody needs insulin out there. But finding people who needed insulin, who needed uh, uh, diabetic treatment or dialysis or regular geriatric or nursing home type care was a lot more common than what – you know, I had five tourniquets available to me for gunshots, right? Wound packing materials, chest darts, all the stuff we think we're going to need in combat medicine. But the traditional EMS medicine was, and the preventative healthcare, community healthcare supplies were stuff that literally I was getting shipped from Rescue Essentials in Colorado, who was who was very giving and, and benevolent. But it took a couple of days to give me what I needed because I was more prepared for a gunfight than I was for a community health problem. Good stuff. Okay, Jeff Lester, last chance. And you're still muted, too. American Sign Language, Jeff. See, now I can make fun since I, would, I started out as... That's <laughs> universal sign language. I was screaming at the TV, so I can, I can now make fun. Well, then, I guess I'll wrap it up, then. Um, thanks, guys. That was good stuff. That was uh, that was a great conversation. Not only did it cover past events, but it has the potential to help others with the future events. Um, I especially appreciated the aspect of the fact that the 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 non governmental entities were able to help so much, where some of the governmental ed- entities were restricted by direction, policy, what whatever orders. That's a that's an interesting aspect to consider. And uh, just the power of the American people. It's, it's inspiring. It is awesome. That should do it. Um, this was Modcast 114. We talked about hurricanes. We talked about natural disasters. We talked about all kinds of topics within that. Um, great conversations. If you weren't with us when we started this, um, we won't be having a Modcast next week. Hopefully we will have some live content. Um, in Range TV... Carnet Con and Primary and Secondary are all going to be working together uh, next weekend. Uh, we're going to be putting some some content together, shooting up some some fun things and recording it. Good old Dugan and good old Carl. It's it's going to be a blast. If you like what we had to say, if you like the conversations, uh, if you learned anything, check out uh, www.patreon.com/slash Primary and Secondary. That's the way you can give back to this community. Essentially, 
what this Patreon thing does is it gives you an opportunity to donate to primary and secondary, and you wind up getting access to all kinds of things. Uh, we do have a, uh, it's called Network Support, a Patreon group on Facebook. We also have some forum, uh, some special forum access. That money helps pay for things like this upcoming trip with Dugan and Carl. It's paying for some of the materials, the travel. Um, it also pays for these types of episodes. There, there actually are some bills behind uh, keeping a production like this going. Uh, we definitely appreciate the, the support we receive from our current Patreons. It's really cool to be able to get immediate feedback from them, too. Um, those guys do help us out with figuring out what uh, the next step should be in, our, in some of our shows or just really good feedback. Um, big, also, big thanks to Forge Tactical. They're one of the sponsors of the show. Um, hopefully, we're going to have a really good video commercial from them. Uh, hung out with uh, Chappie and Doc Spears a couple weeks ago. Wonderful guys. They just taught a low-light course recently. I'm really looking forward to talking to more people that were involved in that. Really cool stuff. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. We do have a website, primaryandsecondary.com. Forums at primaryandsecondary.com slash forum. This was live on Spreaker on YouTube. Um, this will also be available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Podcast, and iHeartRadio. So feel free to share, like, subscribe. Let people know about what we're doing. Um, uh, we definitely appreciate uh, shares and uh, subscriptions. I think that pretty much covers, covers everything on my end. I can't think of anything else. I, I, I hope that I'm going to be able to talk to you guys next week soon.